Welcome to the OIS Podcast. Today, Dr. Asan Sadri speaks with Lori Ann Christie, a scientist who took her career from neurology to ophthalmology and from academia to industry to venture capital. She shares her insights from sunny Southern California. Take it away, Asan. All right, everybody. This is uh, Asan Sadri. I'm an ophthalmologist, board certified here. Newport Beach, California. Today's a special day for me because I get to have Dr. Lorianne Christie, who is a friend and new principal at Visionary Ventures right down the street at Newport Beach. She lives in Newport Beach, works in Newport Beach. It's a very tough job, but someone's doing it. So um, I'm delighted to have her join us today. For those of you who don't know, I I don't want to steal your thunder, Lorianne. I I want you to kind of go through your background. We're just really delighted to have you on and kind of guide us through your career path and what in what you're doing now. We're all very excited about that. So without further ado, Lorianne, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Really a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I just saw you. We, we got to spend uh, spend some time at a nice dinner at AAO. Um, it's so good to see you in person and all our colleagues. It was I miss I don't know about you. Did you miss it? I missed it for the last two years. I It was, it was tough for me. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fun part of our jobs, right, is getting together and connecting and all the information sharing that happens and the great food and company. So yeah, I was happy to be back in person. Yeah, we had a great dinner. It's hard to have a healthy, good dinner in New Orleans. So we, we, we managed it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how healthy it was, but it was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It was probably it was a little bit healthier than the rest of the stuff I had there. But right. um, you know, I, um, I it was just so great to spend some time with you. And for those of you uh, who don't know you, Lorianne, give us a little bit about about your you know way back in your beginning and your personal background. You know, Canada and being all that really just what really influenced you and, and then really what made you jump into life sciences. Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up in a really small town in rural Ontario very close to Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada. So sort of Eastern Ontario. And, you know, the sciences when I was a kid uh, were always fun, chemistry, physics, biology in high school, uh, always really had a, more of an affinity to biology. Um, and, you know, from a young age, recognized that I wanted to know what life was like beyond my small town. And that, you know, staying in school and getting as much education as possible was a way to, to, to facilitate that. Um, so I knew I wanted to go to university um, from when I was pretty young and first in my immediate family to do so. Um, and applied like normal high school kids do to a bunch of different schools and uh, was really proud to be accepted at McGill University in Montreal. So that was an opportunity that I couldn't turn down. And, uh, you know, it was kind of just far enough away from home that I could go and feel what life was like outside of my town and kind of on my own, but close enough that I could still easily go back (laughs) on the weekends and in the summer for the holidays to to be with my family. Um, Montreal was a a wonderful place to be an undergraduate student. Um, Turns out there's a lot of other things to do other than study in Montreal as an 18-year-old. And so I was uh, in the biology department at first, thinking about going to medical school. Um, It's competitive. It's a a top-notch Canadian school, um, recognized internationally. And, you know, to be frank, I probably didn't study hard enough um, to be competitive in in that path. 
Um, so I left biology and um, went to psychology and took some social psych, took some cognitive psych, found all of those to be interesting. But really what ended up happening is I had a really great prof for a course called physiological psychology, which was just kind of the sort of precursor way to say neuroscience. And I fell in love with the biology of the brain. So I, you know, I came back to biology um, through this roundabout path and um, ended up volunteering in, in that professor's lab, um, doing cognition and learning and memory in vivo experiments and thought that it was really, really cool that, you know, before our eyes, we could see a very kind of low mammalian species learning and remembering new information and map the different parts of the brain that serve those functions. And so that's really a theme then that I continued on uh, for, for graduate school and, and even postdoctoral work. That's wonderful. I mean, I, you know, to, to find a passion, uh, you know, part of what we do on the podcast is really for people who, you know, are entrepreneurs, startup entrepreneurs, maybe they're in venture, maybe they're in a big strategic, but really um, even students, I have medical students that listen to this and a lot of ophthalmologists. And for those of you listening, it, you know, what I loved about uh, Lori Ann's story is, um, you know, she, she went to, she pivoted, right? She went to now something she really fell in love with, with passion about and actually went and pursued it. And, you know, a lot of times it, that takes courage. That takes courage to be able to do that, in my opinion, to, to, to do something that, you know, you thought maybe you were going to do something else for many, many years. And then all of a sudden, this other thing that comes up, you're very passionate about and you pursue it because a lot of times people are just too scared to do that. They're, right. They can't believe that they're really like, oh my God, neuroscience. How cool is that? I remember my neuroscience professor. This is fascinating stuff. I mean, I, to this day, I love, 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 love that stuff. How do you actually see like, you know, the, the process, the neuroscience of, for me, for me, sight, for instance, it's just still, that like, gives me goosebumps to talk about. So it's just, we'll talk about that off topic. And then, so I noticed yeah, I, I, on your background, uh, you went to NIH, you did a little histopath and then went to UCI, right? So you ended up, I actually did a fellowship year there too, but you were there as a postdoc. Is that, is that right for neuroscience? Yeah, I was there as a postdoc and then transitioned into like a, um, like a project scientist role, so then a non-tenure track um, position. And I, I worked in two labs, um, did research in two labs while I was there. Uh, both of them focused on neuroscience still, um, but the first one focused on what happens to our brains as we age. And again, you know, what, what, what kind of interventions could we consider everything from things like lifestyle choices, exercise, diet, uh, to pharmaceuticals and, you know, how to sort of preserve those really important functions of learning and remembering for as late in life as possible. So that was the focus of the first lab. And then um, through a collaboration with a different professor in the School of Medicine in the Department of Radiation Oncology, um, uh, Charlie Lamoli, um, he was, his lab was looking at the effects of radiation and chemotherapy on the brain and on these uh, structures of the brain, like the hippocampus um, and entorhinal cortex and um, uh, effects on neurogenesis, right? And he was doing that for uh, a couple of different purposes. Um, really cool question was, you know, what happens to people who um, go live uh, in the space station for long periods of time are exposed to sort of chronic low dose radiation and then also um, people who have cancer that, uh, you know, have brain irradiation or chemotherapy for any kind of cancer. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, although 
that thankfully may have recovered um, from the cancer, they have these um, lifelong issues with learning and memory. And so, um, again, I brought the background that I had with uh, in vivo models and um, how to look in lower species to understand the brain regions that are involved, that are impacted, and then what we could do to intervene. And that was those were um, the themes really of what I did when I was at UCI. So you're so you're at UCI, and you're you know you're I mean you could it's one of those things as a kid in a candy store. There's just so much fascinating science being worked there. And in the last, for those of you who don't know, the last 10 years, UCI has really become a major player in health sciences research uh, globally. They've probably, um, one of their head fundraiser um, sort of um, leads is a friend of mine. And I think they're on track. Um, he was telling me some crazy number. I think they're on track, and you can correct me, to raise a billion dollars mm -hmm. for health sciences. And it's this incredible amount of uh, capital and resources they're investing in the research, which is awesome, which is just absolutely awesome. It's just fascinating stuff. So you're there. Okay. So now you're there, you're there a long time. You're okay. You're like, listen, I got to pay some bills now. <laughs> what, what made you jump over to Allard again? What, how, how did I, how'd you connect there? And um, would you, would you, would you, was it a big transition to go to industry? Yeah, it was. Um, it was a good one and one that I never looked back from, but it's funny that you said, you know, got to pay the bills because it really, <laughs> I mean, it, I'm, it, wasn't, it wasn't a very kind of romantic decision, or maybe it was really romantic, depending on how you look at it. Um, so, so to backtrack, while I was at McGill, um, I, I met uh, a man who's now my husband. Um, and, you know, when, we, when I got my postdoc position at UCI, um, he very kindly agreed to move me, with me from Toronto. He's a software engineer, so it was easy for him to uh, uh, find a career path here as well. At about the six-year mark at UC Irvine, um, he said, you know, I want to, he wanted to quit his day job and start his own company. And I wanted to support him to do that. But the problem was that I was getting paid a postdoc salary, um, you know, which for those who've done that know what that means. And we had two young children in, in daycare, which is expensive, as you know, in Orange County. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to pay the bills. I needed to find a job where I was going to make significantly more money quickly. And, um, you know, luckily, Allergan is, uh, you know, well known in this area, right in UCI's backyard. And I had observed a couple of postdoctoral students um, finish their research at UCI and move on to successful roles at Allergan. And I thought, well, you know, if they can do it, I can do it too. And I saw this position advertised on the retina disease team, and they needed somebody who had a strong background in, in vivo sciences and statistics, experimental design, all the things that I had been doing in the brain. And I just thought, well, I'm pretty sure I can convince them that I can do retina if I can do brain. I mean, it really is just a piece of neural tissue, uh, just not in the skull, right? I mean, in the eyeball instead. And, you know, so I did. And uh, like I said, I, I mean, it was the, the, the company went, underwent enormous changes over the nine years that I was there. Um, and, you know, it was not always easy, but um, every time there was a big change, there was an opportunity to step up and embrace that change and help the company and help my colleagues and the teams and the programs sort of get to the next stage. And it really, I mean, that's, that's really what kept me there for nine years was that it was, there was just multiple learning opportunities and really 
great colleagues too. Allergan, as uh, uh, as you know, a really rich history in ophthalmology, and uh, I I learned so much from the people that I worked with while I was there. Who were some of your mentors when you were there? Oh gosh, uh, I'm gonna miss people if I start naming names. Um, so I, I worked with John Danello um, a lot. Uh, I worked with Dan Gill, um, and they were both and still are uh, wonderful mentors to me. Um, Don Frail came on as the head of research uh, a little bit, probably about midway through my tenure there. Uh, also a great mentor, Larry Wheeler. I worked with, uh, he interviewed me. You can imagine how nervous I was getting uh, interviewed by the, the head of uh, research, um, you know, just coming straight out of academia, right? But uh, very kind, very supportive, and really, you know, and I, I'm sure I've missed people, but the sort of MO of all of those leaders that I worked with, they really got what their legacy was, which, you know, was to bring up the next generation of uh, scientists and drug hunters and train them well and give them opportunities, stretch opportunities. And I was very fortunate to have had a lot of really unique opportunities to kind of show what I could do while I was there and because of those people. Yeah, it's incredible. The, uh, what I love about your history is like, you know, you, you, you're, I think you're like me, you put your head down, you work and you grind and you're there for a long time. Um, you know, I, there, I've had so many people that I've interviewed that just kind of, you know, every year or so they just kind of hop around a little bit, but um, I'm certainly not like that. I, I, once I fall, like, you know, my place, I just kind of go. And um, sometimes that's a great, it's a great thing. I think it leads to a lot of great things. Sometimes, eh, you know, I stay a little longer than I probably should have. Um, <laughs> you know, and you know, you probably going back. You were saying, eh, a couple of years earlier would have probably been okay too. But you know, so so there's lessons now for those of people listening. Uh, you know, they want to know, like, okay, so you were a postdoc. That's academia. Now you're in industry. You've got certain. Obviously, you're getting paid more, but there's a lot more challenges. You have you have to wear, wear different hats. How, did you did someone mentor you for that? Did you kind of get thrown in? How, how take us through that? How how was that transition? during the, the years in Allergan? Um, well, I started, you know, in terms of like the day-to-day of what I was doing, um, I started in a way doing things in a similar to what I had done as a postdoc, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was kind of funny I, because I knew so little about the eye. The direct report that I inherited when I started was actually training me, right? So, you know, we're down in the vivarium and we've got, I mean, this the wonderful clinical instrumentation you know, to image mouse and rat and rabbit eyes and all the, all the different species that we use. And so, you know, I had to learn from him, which was an interesting dynamic. And it was my, also my first uh, kind of official managerial role. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I needed to ask for advice all the time and I made mistakes and I learned from them, uh, I hope, yeah. <laughs> and just sort of continued to get better. And, you know, the, the currency is different in industry than academia, of course, right? In academia, um, you know, very competitive. You got to publish, you got to get the publications in the high impact journals so that you can get the grant funding to continue. And it's, it, you know, somebody described it to me one time as being a, almost like a, a small business owner, right? Like you care about these people that are in your lab and you, you know their families and you want to make sure that you can still fund their salaries and, and really keep moving the research forward. So the pressure is there, it's different. In industry, the, 
you know, the thing is that we need to be sure about the data packages that we're generating. So it's the, the goal is not to um, hopefully have a, a, an outcome that you can publish, right? A, a quick kill in industry is worth as much or maybe even more as finding out that something is going to work. Um, so that's kind of, you know, any of the... Uh, direct reports that I've had over the years or anybody that I've, that I've had an opportunity to mentor over the years that asks what, what the difference is. It's always like we have to be so honest with ourselves and so rigorous about how we design the experiments because these are data that are going to feed into a decision-making process to spend, you know, $100 million to, to do a clinical development program, right? So, so we can't be wrong. It, it, did it work? Did it not work? Doesn't really matter. We need to be sure about about what the answer is. The validity of the data is, is very important compared to like just the num sheer number of publications. I, I yeah, that's great. That's great for those of you who don't know that. And then okay, so obviously you've gotten to know each other, and you've got you know your I love your background because you know um, you've got the science, you've got now a formal pan you know multinational pan you know uh, national. Uh, pharmaceutical giant that was overtaken, you know, by, by Avi became Avi. So you stayed there, you became a director and then now investing. So now you're relatively newer, but where's, is this, is this something you always wanted to do? Tell us through that. And then were you taking, did you have to um, sort of read up on stuff? If, if so, how, what was that curriculum like? Right. So uh, that's another really good question. So, you know, you mentioned Abdi's acquisition of Allergan, but before that, obviously, activists um, had acquired us. And that's really when my role changed from doing, you know, sort of leading this team of people that was developing these preclinical proof of concept packages, which, which we still did a bit, but probably only about 50% of my time, because really the focus shift to this, shifted to this open science, this external innovation model, right, under Mr. Saunders. So... In that role, um, we went through a lot of uh, downsizing, um, which was difficult because it was a closely knit team. And you know, we saw some programs that we loved go away because they weren't part of the sort of new business model. And you know, so when you get past the emotion of, of all of those losses, it's like, okay, this is our new reality and how do we reset and how do we deliver for the, for the company? And so the way to do that in that context for me was to, um, go pretty deep on, on diligence of external opportunities. So um, looking at the science, looking at the preclinical pre data packages, deciding if there is a reason to believe, um, and then interacting. And this was really the great learning opportunity for me, you know, being part of this diligence team, right? So now it's not just discovery research. It's the non-clinical, so the toxicologists, the pathologists, uh, the, the clinical pharmacologists, clinical development, regulatory, commercial, and hearing the input about the opportunity from all of those different perspectives, right? Because ultimately what we need to do is deliver a product that is commercializable and that's gonna make money for the company. Um, and so, you know, that to me was a great exposure to all the different puzzle pieces that need to come together other than the science um, to deliver on that promise. and. That's really, it felt hard at the time to let go and to switch mindsets and do that. But that's really what gave me all of the experience that I needed to do the role that I'm doing now at Visionary. And 
you know, for me, I always wanted to learn more about the business and finance side. So that was something, you know, because of course there's uh, confidentiality and all those kinds of other things. So like once this big cross-functional team kind of put their opinions together and said, yes, you know, business development, commercial, scientific assessment, we want to move forward with this opportunity. Then those, then I wasn't part of those discussions anymore, just because that wasn't my function and role. But I always had this longing, well, you know, how are they going to value this, right? And then, you know, you, we would see the press release and it's like, oh, they bought this company or this asset for X number of dollars. I'm like, how did they, how did they, you know, is it, is it 10 million, 100 million, 500 million? Like, how do you, how do you come to that number, right? And, and put value on something, taking into account all the risk, um, organizational risk, asset risk, science risk, whatever, um, so that's what is really exciting to me about the opportunity that I have at Visionary. Um, I think everybody that I've spoken to, you know, Jeff Weinhoff and Garrett Hammetry are top notch at what they do on the finance side. And, uh, I, you know, at this point, actually know a lot about the ophthalmology space, obviously, having done it now for, for many years. And so yeah, I'm really looking forward to just absorbing all of it. And it's going to be really on the job training for me um, to to get all of that information. It's amazing because you're, you're a very powerful uh, force because you've got the science and now, you know, you're, so you had the industry and now you have the investments, almost like a trifecta. I think it's, it's awesome. You have, you know, it's tr tremendous, tremendous uh, tools in the tools box. And it's rare for people. Normally people are siloed as you know. Um, and that, that's what makes you um, just special. I think it's really good that you, that, you know, visionaries just been, really blessed to have you and it's just I personally look forward to you know, spending more time with you over the next few years um, and then so now obviously I have my picks but what are some technologies you like companies you, <laughs> that you that you're that you are saying hey this is kind of neat this is kind of intriguing um, I know you know uh, visionary looks at a lot of different uh, ophthalmic companies but are there any that you are sort of um, more excited about um, and curious about yeah. So, I mean, I think big picture wise, um, creative ways to accomplish sustained delivery for the eye is huge, right? I mean, whether you're talking about patients not having to use eye drops or not having to go for intravitreal injections every month, I mean, these are, these are burdensome asks, especially in the elderly populations for those disease indications. So I think, I think that, that, is a big focus in the field. And I think it should be a big focus. And um, it's really exciting for me to think about, you know, who, who's got the most differentiated one, the most flexible one that can accommodate small molecules, large molecules could be injected, you know, subconj, intravitreal, supercoroidal. Um, so that's a big one. I think, you know, in the future, I'm hoping that some of the potential that could be realized for things like uh, gene therapy and regenerative medicine, cell therapy, that we're going to get to a point where those are, are tractable. I mean, for gene therapy, we've already seen it with Luke Sterna, but I think there's a lot more opportunity there. And the eye is such a special place to try some of those novel modalities because it's compartmentalized. The, the volumes of materials, the cost of goods um, that you need is lower. You know, you can visualize the eye. You can see these changes uh, happening with all of these great imaging technologies that we have. Um, so those are really, really interesting to me. And then, you know, 
I mean, digital health is applicable to the eye, um, artificial intelligence, better ways of diagnosing people, um, you know, maybe even being able to have some sort of situation where people can monitor their own visual health from home um, and report to their doctors that way. Uh, those are, I think, the kind of big pictures, like without naming names, um, those are the, the sort of big picture opportunities that I'm following really closely right now. <laughs> Good. That's good. A lot more to unpack next time. I would love to have you here. Hopefully next time, uh, next next year this time, and uh, see your trajectory, which is I know it's going to be like this. <laughs> um, Lorianne, if um, people want to reach you, what's the best way? Would it be through LinkedIn or email? What? Yeah, you wanna... LinkedIn is great. Email, email as well. Um, very good. Very good. Well, we're super excited um, to showcase you on the OIS podcast and. Me personally, spend some more time with you. I look forward to um, having you teach me more about neuroscience. And I wish you and your family a wonderful, happy holidays. Thank you. Thanks very much. I appreciate it, Aysan. Nice, great speaking with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You look great. Thank you for listening, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the OIS Podcast. Be sure to listen in next week as we discuss the latest innovations in ophthalmology with experts in science, medicine, and industry. Subscribe to our iTunes channel so you don't miss a thing. Got a story of your own to tell? Apply to be a guest at OIS.net.